Hello, and welcome again to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. This is Rich Crispin. I have with me our reigning romantic, Cody Schweikert. How are you, Cody? Bro, I was, uh, I gotta ask, where, why, what's, what's, why, am I a reigning romantic? Is this I mean, thing? you're, you're kind of like the, you write a lot of poetry. You, okay. you're, you're a teacher of the English language. Okay. You, As are uh, you. As are you. You are, you know. You, you travel across borders for a romantic relationship at ah, times. Ah, okay. Yeah, that, there yeah. it is. Yeah. There it is. Uh, uh, yeah, I've been off the show for a little bit. I've, uh, <laughs> I've been busy with your other life, things. Yeah, your life's been full. Yeah, it's been, a busy, it's been a busy time, but I'm glad to be back doing radio with you, my Good. dear friend Richard. Uh, you are, as always, I usually comment on what you're wearing because people can't see you. Uh, I got to say, I'm usually impressed by what you're wearing, but mm-hmm. I'm a little confused today. You've got like a f- camo... Uh, necktie face yeah, mask Yeah, so I, I'm a high school teacher as well. It's spirit week at our school. Today mm-hmm. is camo day. So I was wearing a camo jacket, and I have a camo, uh, you know, neck gaiter on, mm. uh, on on top of my button-up shirt for you work. You still have it on. I still have it Hours on. Hours yeah. after it's, school has ended. Yeah, okay. I came here directly from school. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Awesome. But, you know, enough about us. Uh, we also have a special guest with us today, thinker, essayist, and poet, Ryan Diaz. Ryan, welcome to the show. Guys, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. I remember Spirit Week. I was a high school week teacher at some point. <laughs> oh, nice. I was forced to wear m- many weird things mm-hmm. for oh, the yeah. sake of school spirit. Yeah, but you probably took it off at some point after the workday was over. Probably. I definitely brought a change of clothes with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I did see some camo tutus out there today. Camo tutus. Wait, yeah. so why is... Okay, so it's just camo just, day. Yeah, just camo day. Nothing okay. crazy. Yeah. Bold move. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is super exciting. So some of you guys, Forefront listeners and, and readers, you may recognize Ryan Diaz's name. He has contributed to the Forefront blog uh, before the time of this recording. But today, we're going to talk to Ryan about poetry, uh, a little bit about God's love of poets and poetry, and mostly about his brand new book, For Those Wandering Along the Way. Mm. Before we go... Any further, though, Forefront 360 tradition demands that Ryan is subjected to the lightning round. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, this lightning round is the purpose is it has almost almost nothing to do with poetry. It's general questions. Uh, we just we just want to get to know you a little better. You're on the you're on the radio show here. You're automatically family. Uh, so uh, these questions is just the first thing that comes to your mind. You can't really think about it. That's part of the rules. When we first started doing this, we I think we did it to our pastor first. Or oh and, yeah, and we did true. like. We did like 45 questions or something. It was way too many. It was like almost an entire episode. <laughs> this hopefully won't exhaust you. Yeah. So uh, anyway, this is not that many. But uh, you ready, bro? I think so. I mean, I tend to be long-winded, so let's see how lightning I am. We'll see. We'll, we, we will see, my friend. You're a man of words, though, so okay. <laughs> expect it. Go. All right. Uh, Rich and I both came up with these questions. If there are any weird, bad questions in here, it's Rich's fault. That's okay. fine. Starting now. What is your favorite borough in New York City? Queens, born and raised. Okay. okay. Nice. See, that wasn't long-winded. Uh, easy. What is your favorite TV show? Oh. <laughs> uh, see, this is where it gets devolved into madness. Um, I'll have to say I grew up being a huge Star Trek fan. Okay. So, that's a thing I, I really enjoy. What's your favorite Star Trek? Next Generation. That's the right answer. Easy. Well said. Okay. Is that the John Luke Picard. That's with Best that Captain. W- without yeah. Shatner? With Patrick Stewart. After Shatner? Uh, yes. Okay. Chronologically and in time. In, uh, in our Deep time. Deep Space Nine right after. Okay. Oh, nice. wow. Okay. Have you watched Picard on Paramount Plus? I saw the first season. 
Sadly, I wasn't impressed. Okay, okay. We could talk about that on a different podcast. Rich, Rich <laughs> what's that? What's that juvenile cartoon you watch with uh, Lower our, Decks? Our friend Chris Widmer. S- Star Trek Lower Decks, Lower the Decks. Uh, the animated one. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, that, keep going. Okay, keep, let's keep going. What is your last TV show you watched? Okay, so like everyone else, I just watched Squid Game. Oh wow! Which was okay. this k- Korean suspense show, really good. And I must confess, during the pandemic, my wife and I binge Grey's Anatomy. Mm. Okay. And I'm ready for surgery. Oh, Man, yeah. Put me in, put me in coach. Re- ready, to, <laughs> ready to perform surgery or go under the knife? I, f- I feel like I know enough. And yeah. I'm saying this, must of the ch- chagrin of all the doctors who may be listening. Yeah. But yeah, how, you, many, how many seasons of Grey's Anatomy are there? 48. Like, I, I tell you what. Wait, audience, there are 48? No. Oh, okay. I was like, that's crazy. Old. Old. Okay, yeah. It's yeah. still a lot, though. I tell you what. When Ryan Diaz, my new friend, and we just met moments ago, I'm looking. You guys can't see him, but I'm looking into his eyes right now via <laughs> camera. And uh, when he said, like, he's confident with the scalpel, I, I have no reason for I, believing yeah, him, I but I did it. believe him. I believed it, too. I was like, yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. I'm I'm well right now. I'm healthy. But I, I still want some kind of work done <laughs> just... if worse comes to worse i got you thank you man good, good. Well, we, we're in we're in touch now so that's good um okay mountains or beach mountains easy who is your favorite poet this is a terrible question <laughs> it's gonna hurt me so badly um seamus heaney nice okay. okay classy guy uh what is your order at starbucks i'm not like a huge starbucks fan but i'll you a coffee drinker myself coffee or tea coffee but i do love a good tea okay um but starbucks during the summer they came out with like the shaken oat brown sugar thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it was like the one thing i allowed myself from starbucks okay it's like a sin to be in new york city and get bad coffee from like starbucks or dunkin donuts yes like there's plenty of good people 100 it's it's like how we all pretend not to eat mcdonald's but every so often we find ourselves there like i did a few hours ago you ate McDonald's. Oh, there's no shame ago. in my McDonald's game. Okay. All right. Well, okay. tell me your McDonald's order then. Oh, McDonald's right, no, order. No, no, easy. no, no, Number no. Number one. No, let me ask you this. Big Mac. Last thing. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. The, if you could only eat one thing at a fast food joint for the rest of your life, one last fast food oh. meal in your life. Ooh, cheesy gordita crunch, Taco Bell. Oh, okay. Taco Bell. Out of left field. Okay. Taco Bell. We yeah. gotta keep rolling. This is good. Uh, would you rather fight a lion or a tiger? Male lions. If it's a male lion, they're not as Active as female yeah. lions. You might be, but female lions do a lot of the hunting. My man's either been watching Discovery Channel or he's fought a male lion before. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Respect. Uh, sneakers or dress shoes? I'm from the city, sneakers. Nice. Cool. Uh, last one. I'm very proud of this one. And if you think it's weird, Rich asked it, not me. Okay. <laughs> but, but you're what, proud of it. Well, yeah. Okay. I think, right, I think go it's going to go over well. What would it cost you to get you to wrestle an alligator? I got to check. Whatever. I got less than my student loans. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay, a good answer. Good answer, good answer man. Um, I think I'd do it for $500. $500. Pretty low, but. You're just, just wrestling alligator. I feel very confident. Check for $500. I feel very confident. Maybe the Lord would, wow, humble, okay. maybe the Lord would humble me. But. I might go with the male lion over the alligator. I, I'm not, I didn't say crocodile. I mean, I'm yeah, human. Okay, I'm okay, fallible. Okay, okay. But an alligator, punk, right. a punk alligator, <laughs> I could handle that. All right. Uh, Have you been to Florida much? I was born in Florida, son. You were? Actually, I was. You couldn't wow, tell by I didn't my, know that. my pale complexion. I had to leave immediately. Okay. But I was born there, Sarasota. Um, okay. Uh, Rich, 
take take the yeah. microphone away from me. Okay. So um, I actually, as long as it's okay with you, Ryan, I actually just want to open by reading uh, from the preface of for those wandering along the way, because I think it, uh, it even though I had been introduced to Ryan before reading this, I feel like it just opened a the whole you know gamut of things that I wanted to talk to you about and hear from you. So I'm just going to read that for you guys, listeners here. And this is Ryan talking, of course. I rang in the new year unemployed and depressed. I was a shell of my former self, an automaton that resembled the living. I was going through the motions. Every day I wake up, say my prayers, fill out job applications, and take up residence in front of the TV until my wife called me for dinner. I'd eat, clear my place, and was soon off to bed to begin the process all over again. I tried to spin it, convince myself that it was all okay, but while my smile worked on friends and family, deep down inside my faith was waning. What was once a blazing hearth was reduced to a few stalwart embers fading in and out of life. I had been here before. The dark night of the soul wasn't new to me, but this time something was different. My usual tips and tricks came up hollow and empty. Prayer and scripture felt dead on my tongue and lifeless in my ears. The faith I once had, unbeknownst to me, had been subtly replaced with a cold, brutal cynicism. Prayer failed because I questioned more than I prayed. Scripture ceased to soothe because it no longer blew me away. God was distant because I had put up my arms in defense, sealed the doors, and for good measure wrapped it in yellow caution tape. I had lost my capacity for wonder, my faith was hollow, and I was spiraling. In the midst of all this, I did something I did not expect. I began to write again. I had always dreamed of being a poet, a man of letters, but life and, quite frankly, a poor theology of vocation led me to put down my pen. Yet there I was, jobless, with nothing to lose, and with so much fear and trembling, I picked up a notebook and put pen to page. Poetry saved me. Grace used each pen stroke to soften my stony heart and enliven my embittered soul. With each line, I felt more myself again. I finally understood King David. The Psalms were his lifeline. These poems were mine. Dear reader, I present you with the product of a thawing heart. Read each poem with care. Let them work on you. God works in the gray and through the subtext. This is why he often speaks in poetry. Poetry speaks when reason is at a loss for words. I pray reading these poems will do for you what writing them did for me. Yours truly, Ryan Diaz. Mm. I, I was sucked in at the end of the preface. A lot of times I skip the preface yeah. in books, but yeah. I'm glad I didn't this time. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, th- there's pre- so much from here. But I feel like you need that. You need that preface to yes. to get to g- experience the book the way you're supposed. Yes, to. Yes, and now um, this is the end of the episode. You guys can go buy the book, and <laughs> that's it. No, yeah. perfect. No, um, but I mean, using. I mean, whether you want to use that as a starting point or not, Ryan, uh, would you just give us a little bit about your story? Like, how did you get into writing? You, in your preface, you're mentioning you're putting your pen, kind of taking up the pen once more. So, like, kind of yeah. what's your story? Yeah, so I think that preface sum- summarizes a season of my life. I think there something happened to me between, like, years of 2018, 2019, where I had just yeah, become really cynical. But before that season was a season of robust faith. I had grown up in church. I, you know got involved in ministry and pastoral ministry. So there was a root of robust faith, you know, kind of coming out of college and all that. But when I mentioned I put down the pen, 
I, I loved writing. I, I grew up loved writing. I grew up wanting to be a writer, a desire to really just be, like I said, a man of letters. Like mm-hmm. there was always this, this longing and there was this just reading, this being I was a voracious reader and just mm-hmm. wanted to read and absorb and to create. And then funnily enough, when I left college and started doing ministry, got married, I stopped writing. And I think part of it was practical. There was a sense in which I was taking on all this new responsibility that comes with shepherding souls and that whole deal. But there's also a sense which writing almost felt like a distraction from like the good work of the gospel. Yes. And um, so I kind of put it away. But what I didn't realize was that I was putting away a sense of myself. There's this sense of wonder and awe that was cultivated by the arts, by poetry, that I had kind of sequestered away. And now, without that resource, I was kind of left open to deal with faith with in this very sort of rational, sort of just almost this pragmatic way, you right. know, and I think that happens to a lot of ministers where you kind of, you're trying to do what works because you've been assigned this task and someone has agreed to pay you money to do this. And I had lost a lot of wonder. And so when I kind of came to 2018, 2019, um, I went through a major transition. My wife and I left a church we were at for a very long time. And I realized being away from the work, I didn't have much else. I had the work, I had this, and I was passionate about it. I was enjoying it. But outside of that, I I didn't realize how hollow my faith really was. And so there was this sense that I needed to do something about it, that I realized that I wasn't just doubting. This wasn't doubt. This wasn't deconstruction. This was cynicism and i think the difference Mm. between cynicism and and doubt is this sense in which doubt longs to feel doubt longs to be consoled and to have its questions answered you know there's this longing cynicism has resolved not to accept any answers it's a it's a form of like epistemic nihilism Mm -hmm. where there is this belief whether acknowledged or not that even if I was presented with answers, I've sort of doubt and, and, and reject all of that for the sake of safety. That right. if I allow myself to embrace mystery, to embrace something like God who transcends my categories, who might throw me for a loop, that in order to be safe from that, I, I have to kind of wall myself off from, from feeling and... Yeah, just all the things that it takes to make faith robust. And so, yeah, that kind of led me to be in a season. I was like, man, like I I have to start writing again because there was something in that I just intuitively knew would fight against that thing I was feeling inside. And so I started writing poetry again. Um... And lo and behold, it turned into something outside of the original project was reclaiming a sense of awe and wonder. 
Wow, man. The answer I to that I connected with so many things that you said. Yeah. I wish I had like a notepad while you were talking to like <laughs> write it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Me su- too. I'm super. <laughs> I'm super. Don't worry. We're recording it. Uh, I'm super tempted to go off script and, and dig into what you said, but I, I do want to follow up with uh, just because uh, I'm curious about how uh, you produce this stuff, right? So every everyone has a different writing process. Um, I'm especially curious about like revision, like you get an idea down, you jot something down. Is there like, I'm going to revise this at least three or four times, or is it mostly like I hit it, I feel like I write slowly, and once I've got a complete poem, it's more or less done. Uh, time of day, all that stuff. Go into your process for a minute. Yeah. So process is a funny thing because I think it's a funny thing with poetry. I think there's kind of two general schools of thought. There's the school in which poetry is sort of this semi-magical affair that, you know, the poem finds you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, you'll be walking down the street and a line just gets into your head, and you have to rush to find a piece of paper to jot it down. Yeah. Like Seinfeld. This is not the school of thought. <laughs> yeah, like, like Seinfeld. He gets the joke. He sleeps with a notepad next to him. And when he gets yeah. the joke, he's like, that's funny. He's got to write it down oh, right. quickly. Yeah. So I think there's that school of thought. Right. And, and then there's the – there's this where you have to so – you sit down and go to work. Um, you know, S- Stephen King – wrote this great book called On Writing. Mm -hmm. And in the book, he kind of bashes the idea of inspiration. And I'm going to paraphrase him badly. But he essentially said, you know, amateurs wait for inspiration. Real writers go to work. Mm. And so there's also this other opinion where it's like, this is like plumbing. Like I show up, I do the job, and that's how I get good at it. And I think for me, process involves both. I think there are definitely moments where I'm like driving and there's just a line that comes and I just have to repeat it to myself because it's really dangerous to write and drive. (laughs) And then, you know, you get down and the poem just appears. It just, you know, it just flows out. It's like, you know, breaking the stone like Moses and the water comes flowing out. That's how it feels sometimes. And then... 95% 95% of the other time, what I do is I wake up in the morning, I make a cup of coffee, because that's a must for all creative activity. That's right. right. Amen. Um, it's usually around like 7.30 a.m., 8 a.m. Um, so I've already sort of maybe like spent some time in prayer, contemplation, you know, on a good day. And then I'll sit at my desk. I have a little notebook. I probably, yeah, I have it right here next to me. And... I, I'll just try to write. You handwrite. You start with handwriting? Yeah, I start with handwriting and notebook. Ah. And so I'll start just jotting things down, thinking of images, ideas, or sometimes even just simply like, I want to write about this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a lot of trial and error and failure. But usually what would happen then, if I have like something like, this is a working thing, I think every poet knows when they've written a bad poem right i don't think you've ever known if you've written a great one but you definitely know the bad one so you cross out the bad ones but the ones that are like up in the air that i have a typewriter and i'll type it out again that forced me to slow down think breathe and then that typed out piece of paper 
that I'll hand edit and kind of I have this thing in front of my desk where I like clip things in like a cork mm. board kind of and I'll just sit and look at it and edit until it feels done and then I'll put it like in the Google Drive mm. and I feel like that that makes the poem official when it's in the computer yeah, when once it's, it's transcended once it's to the digital realm into the cloud <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it is ascended into the clouds <laughs> exactly yeah. wow that's cool yeah, that's, that's awesome cool. so what the the typewriter is that's something just tactile and forces you to slow down and kind of classy or yeah i think part of it is being pompous <laughs> and just like feeling like your oh, artistic endeavors are more legit. That can help. I mean, I mean yeah. I mean, whatever it inspires. Yeah, it, it, it gives you some legitimacy, and you feel like, hey, this is it. There's a gravity, yeah. a weightiness. To this. I'm friends with a graphic designer who learned in a very uh, traditional style at Carnegie Mellon, and he still drafts out things that are completely digital. Like they're never going to even go to print. You know, like web stuff. He'll still draft it out on the you know big drafting table with the graph paper and all that stuff just because it makes him you know it's the inspiration comes from that you know that's kind of cool yeah and so it also it's something about slowing down too we live you know um wendell berry has this poem called how to be a poet and um, he has this one line where he says you know shun electric wire um and so i think there's this sense in which there's so many distractions on a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, the process needs to start without those distractions. But also, I am notoriously terrible at editing, meaning I don't like to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, In there. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the points also of typing it down is it forces some sort of editorial process which I wouldn't do, which is why I love working with editors because um, they do that work for you. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. The I noticed too when you were mentioning it, it just stuck out to me. When reading through the book, um, I read through um, after I'd got a copy of for those wandering along the way, I read a few poems each morning. Luckily, as a teacher, I have a built-in time into my schedule before students come in each morning and I was using it over the past you know, a few weeks to just kind of work systematically, you know, through the book. And I did notice that um, it's kind of cool how you have some poems that seem to me to be very, um, and this maybe is just my interpretation, but it seems like some of your poems are kind of sprung from maybe like an ideological or uh, theological or philosophical idea or concept that you're wrestling with. And the poem is kind of born from that. And some of them are just beautiful, uh, snapshots of like moments and and topics and things like that and I really enjoyed one thing I really enjoy about the book is the uh kind of the uh cadence as you read through it of things like oh I'm grappling with things like faith and the fall of democracy you know and and things like that but then also you know like a great moment uh having a cup of coffee in the morning or you know having some tobacco or something of that nature so I, I I think that's pretty cool and I'm excited to see how here how those things are kind of born from your different Mm -hmm. you know styles yeah yeah i think it's that's a good segue to get into uh what what we want to ask you about next is just uh, i don't know how we want to do this rich but um we read the book and yeah we want to pick a few of our favorites so cody and i were talking about what our 
you know, what pieces stood out to us the most. And um, a lot of different pieces kind of rang in our heads. We've got too many to talk about. We listed. Well, we'll tell you. We're going to pick three each and we've got like close to 10 here, but uh, that we jotted down. But um, yeah, you want to just, you want to kick us off? Sure. I mean, I, there's too many that I liked, but I think I'll talk about, um, I really enjoyed uh, Timber. I really enjoyed a threshold prayer and Mm. I really enjoyed the radiator. Wow, that's a, a nice eclectic mix. Yeah, I was trying to pick, you know, like which ones uh, like emblemize those different things. You know, uh. I also really like, uh, and I'll be completely honest, I'm not very versed as much as I should be in kind of like classical references, like Greco-Roman references mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of, I, I loved the kind of variance in breath in your poems where some of your poems are definitely reaching into that more like classical yeah. almost even like shakespearean like william blakian um style and then other pieces like the radiator or tobacco for example are a little bit more like you know contemporary yeah. more like scenic okay i, I gotta just yeah, go bring ahead, that, go this ahead. up right away then so snowfall uh for example the second san- stanza of snowfall uh turning suburban streets into a scene from an old nordic tale talking about you know obviously snow falling and and how it transforms the look of something modern and reminds you of something older and more romantic and that that's the thing that i think over and over again i was so impressed by and fascinated by is this way that you you kind of yank the the modern and the past together and and you you pull them together in a way that really makes sense and makes you know makes me feel connected to like people that lived a very long yeah. time ago. And it, the beauty of it is that it didn't, to me, feel like a juxtaposition. It felt like a zipper. Mm. And you got, like, these traditional forms of poetry yeah. and traditional, you know, topics of thought and more, you know, contemporary things. And in the book, they just kind of, you can't see, but I'm zipping my fingers together yes. right now. I love that. Yes. Yeah, that's great. I think part of that is born partly out of, like, a re- rebellion uh, against like the maybe the current cultural zeitgeist, mm-hmm. and then part of it too is like a sort of acknowledgement that poetry is a, a wider tradition, and so the rebellion piece is that you know poetry in a lot of its modern, more modern forms, you know, has sort of trivialized the the transcendent or the earnest mm-hmm. um and i think that's to the detriment of people reading poetry mm-hmm. which is why less americans read poetry it's because a lot of academic poetry is so disconnected yeah. from these worlds that people have in, in their imaginations that we kind of share in this kind of cultural landscape but then also, on the flip side, so there's like this like rebelling against that. But then it's also, you know, when I go to a country and I, I visit, let's say I go visit my family in Puerto Rico, right? Like, there's something about the speech and the dress and this, all these things that make a culture, mm-hmm. right? But then, if I want to participate in that then there's some adoption that needs to happen there's some there's some respect that needs for these these things that are different 
but yet unite this whole thing together. And so when we do use traditional forms or traditional imagery, mm -hmm. it's just, hey, we're connecting to this bigger thing that, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about chronological snobbery, that, you know, because we're modern, we have all the best stuff, all the best ideas. Like, no, no, no. Like, we have resources that are thousands of years old that connect us, um, that give this thing English poetry mm -hmm. its shape and its roots. And why can't we call back on that stuff? Right. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I, man. I was reading uh, recently an essay that said that uh, a lot of the poetry that exists today that's being published, you know, since the turn of the century, 21st century, has been um, like the the writer called it Instagram poetry, not mm -hmm. meaning it's it's the, you know, posted on Instagram necessarily, but the fact that the poems are these short snapshots of effectively imagery. Which is great, but when you, and you know, sometimes that can be really good, but when you contrast like a quick snapshot of image versus like something like a poem of great depth um, and complexity that has form and structure and plot, you know, things like that, it is an interesting, I'm not saying that one is objectively more valuable than another, but I think that we've seen a, a lot more of more the Instagram poetry recently. Mm. Yeah. Well, on that note, I, I would like to thank you specifically for a few of these. I wrote down my favorites. Uh, the first one I wrote down, Category 5. So this about uh, weathering storms. And um, if you think about the title, for those wandering along the way, uh, it's definitely, you know, the book does not shy away from the, the, the notion of suffering and the fact that we're in, in a fallen world. And there is hope, but there's a storm to endure. And uh, I just thought that was a great title for, you know, Category 5. Again, a modern term, right, uh, Category 5. This is for hurricane, hurricane, hurricanes, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So I, I would have been very I, – I, this, this is the kind of thing I read. I'm like, why didn't I think of that? Category 5, what a great name for <laughs> – in the spiritual metaphor of that. Then the Dust Bowl, uh, that, that poem, the Dust Bowl, stuck out to me. One of our favorite poets is uh, – Dr. Ben Myers, we bring him up on 85% of our podcasts. <laughs> yeah, uh, a popular He's figure. kind of like our, our, our mentor in a lot of ways at Forefront, but uh, hmm. he's from Oklahoma and has wrote a whole book of poems on the Dust Bowl. And, uh, called I, Black Sunday, correct? Yeah, Black Sunday. Um, and so I just love the way you, you know, again, you've got this metaphor of the Dust Bowl is this moment in history in a particular place, but I see you applying it to this this, you know, all of history, this fallen world that we're in, we're kind of in this dust bowl and we're waiting for just a drop of water to make the dust dirt again. So, the, you know, the, the soil comes and the life comes back. And I just thought that was absolutely beautiful, man. Mm -hmm. Again, Zoom fatigue, uh, the irony of this, uh, we're kind of <laughs> kind of Zooming right now. And so I apologize for that, uh, this, <laughs> this, the Zoom fa fatigue and uh, uh, kind of, land basing the narcissism of that and the disconnectedness of uh human relationships that we all experienced at some point or another the last couple of years zoom uh, all hallows eve on the pair steps i mean th these are yeah. some of my favorites so good. but yeah funnily enough zoom fatigue was a result of a conversation with a professor of mine um we were mid midst of covid and he had this one line was like you know, Zoom is like this sick and twisted version of Plato's Cave. Mm. Um, and I was like, boom, that's a poem right there. <laughs> Thank you, Thank Dr. You. Full of Love. <laughs> I'll Man, take I'll take it. Amazing. That is good, dude. Yeah. Also, oh, so um, 
your uh the poem The Long Defeat, which is like the third oh, one yeah. in the book. Early on, right? Yeah. Um it reminds me of the uh what is that poem? The name is escaping me right now, but like the do not go gentle into that good night poem. You Dylan know? Thomas. Yeah. Uh, What's it called again? Yeah. Dylan Thomas. Yeah. Well, anyway, we got yeah. Oh, I, I feel like I'll the long it. defeat is your <laughs> uh, next chapter in the tradition of Dylan Thomas. I love the uh, the the last stanza. Son, I cannot say lest you break, but for now I'd savor your breath. For the enemy comes with haste and brings with him our last foe. All caps. Death. Yes, I'm just our like, last foe. Death. On. Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I do remember. I that read it now. and I was like, "Let's go." Our last foe. <laughs> yeah, death. <laughs> that, that was Yeah, so it's so. Uh, Dylan Thomas. Sorry, we know that you're listening right now. If you were live, yeah, we Dylan know you Thomas, would be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do not go gentle into that good night. That's what it's called. It's okay, seminal, all right, all right. seminal work there. Yes, so but it's just it. I thought of that right. Respect away. to Dylan and the uh, the surviving Thomas family. Yeah, we know exactly. you're listening. Uh, yeah. You no, know, it's funny that comes from like a, a idea from Tolkien, where he had this kind of concept of the long defeat, where mm-hmm. he kind of viewed history mm-hmm. as this long defeat before this. He like called his you catastrophe this. This this beautiful upheaval that results in victory, but right. like the reality was the in between of that, and for him that was Christ's res, res, resurrection and return. That was going to be that turn. You still have to endure right. this seemingly long defeat. Right, and, and what a flip! Uh, like you just like all right, we've all right, we've touched on Lewis and Tolkien now, so here we go. But like Lewis is you know, like the chronic chronological snobbery idea you brought up before, and what what a uh, what an the inverse of that is actually, as Tolkien points out, such a more Christian approach where, like, God creates the garden perfect, you know. So rather than us advancing through time and technology and, and whatever and, you know, forming this better society each time, you know, in reality, God created things perfect originally. And perhaps we're just experiencing this long and increasing defeat yeah. until Christ's final return. So what a cool idea, yeah. you know. And to further complicate it, it's not as if everything is like always getting worse and worse, but there is this cyclicalness to it. So like we've we've got idols that uh, the previous generation did not, and vice versa. And it's just this. Uh, oh yeah, not a permanent, not a permanent defeat though. It's just long. So we we said peppered in some poems that we like. I know this is going to be like asking one to pick their favorite child, but um, do you have a poem? in the book that you enjoy the most or you're most proud of? Um, yeah, it is like pick your favorite child, which every parent has. Um, you just gotta be honest about it. Yeah. I think my favorite, um, has to be to my 1948 Hermes baby. Mm. Um, it's toward the end of the book. And there's two reasons. One no one ever knows what it's about <laughs> because what's a 1948 Hermes baby? But I'm not gonna it's a lie to you, I didn't get it. <laughs> it's, it's a, a typewriter. typewriter. Yeah, oh, so I've actually a typewriter cool. in front of me right now, and yeah, so it's it's from from it's called Hermes Baby. It was a I think it was the 40s or 50s it was developed in, and um, in Europe, and it was meant to be this compact ty- typewriter people could bring with them when they traveled. So this poem's about this typewriter, but the reason why I love it the most is I think it's one of my more su- successful villanelles, mm. which is a, a po- for the listeners a poetic form that has a 
kind of two repeating lines throughout, which means that these lines have to be really good lines to, for the poem to make sense. Right. right. Um, and so, yeah, I think just the the fact that no one ever gets it. Yeah. And the fact that it, I think it's like a technical achievement in terms of poetry. I'm proud of it. Right. Let me. Let me, Can I read the two lines real quick? Yeah, go for it. I think these are the ones you're referring to. For these keys are pregnant with stories to tell. In them, the long-forgotten past still dwells. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, those, there you go. Those, those are lines worthy to be repeated a multiple plus, times. Mr. Schweiker. A plus. Yeah, we're both English teachers here <laughs> yeah. interviewing you, so that gets an A plus. Okay, I'm Sick. literally facepalming, or not literally. I'm metaphorically facepalming because <laughs> now it. I'm looking at it, and I'm like, obviously it's about a typewriter. Even the... The um, listen for the knell of the carriage bell and the steady percussion of iron Ding. keys. How did I not? Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing anyway. is, and I, I knew this guy. I have a suspicion about our friend here, Ryan, because not only this poem, but previous ones talk. The ink is a real image. He, he goes yeah. to this. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, man, to me, when I'm writing, I'm always on like this keyboard, which like my laptop, right? And now I'm rethinking. But uh, I'm like, I think this guy might actually be using some real ink here to write these. Yeah? You got that sense? I got that sense. Mm. I was going to ask you. I didn't want to be too forward and then be disappointed. You know, but you yeah, know, like you sir, find out yeah. on my iPhone. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, hey, I've written ha- half of anything I've ever enjoyed that I've written. I wrote on the Notes app on my phone, believe it or not. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Don't knock the Notes app. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Notes app, man. Um, yeah, wow, dude. That is uh, it's a special poem. It's now my new favorite one. If it's Ryan's favorite one, it's my favorite one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, dude, tell us about, uh, quickly about a future project that, that you might be working on. Yeah, this is cool. I'm working on two things right now. Um, the first is the next collection. I'm about like 60%, um, through it. It's gonna be a little bit longer than this first one. So it's probably be about, about maybe 80 poems total. I'm still working through, you mm-hmm. know, the process. Mm-hmm. But I'm at 67 pages, so... that's what, um, What's this one? Working. This one is 66. Did, yeah, did, did you know that this is like 66? Yeah, was like that purposeful? The same books of the Bible, 66 books of the Bible? Is that purposeful? I'm going to say yes. Yeah, bro, nice. it's so nice. dope. <laughs> yeah, let's just give me yes. 66. Yeah, right? Yeah, okay. Sorry, go ahead. But actually, actually, I have a quick question, if you don't mind. How do you decide, like, as, I mean, Cody and I dabble with poetry as well. Like, how here do you... There. Here and there. Yeah, here and there. How, how do you, like, what made you decide, like, once you had written the amount of poems that are in this book, like, how did you say, like, okay, I'm done now. Like, this is a collection. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you're not going to be impressed by the answer. <laughs> that's okay. I was having a conversation with my wife, mm-hmm. and I'm a perpetual kind of procrastinator Mm. and so i have a lot of ideas a lot of projects not a lot of things finished follow through oh man i feel kindred spirit kindred spirit right here man and so she kind of gave me a challenge at the end of 2020 she's like hey you did all this writing this year you accomplished some goals kind of started 2020 want to start writing again but also want to get like published and do that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so that had kind of happened and was happening. She's like, okay, you keep saying you want to write a book. Just finish one. Mm. Um, and so that was the impetus to the book. Mm. Was this like charge from my wife to finish something. And so I had this collection of 100 plus poems that are written during 2020. I was writing almost every day. Mm-hmm. 
And I just said, I have to sort through this. And part of it was what thematically fit. Once that, that title poem, for those wandering along the way, right. once that was set at the title poem, that kind of gave direction. Right. So there was some things thematically. But then there's also a sense where it's like you're also picking your best work. Right. So I, I felt like I picked my best poems and then did the terrible job of killing your darlings yeah. to make sure they weren't just good, they fit. Yeah, it's like, ah, and, this is a good poem, but I can't justify putting it in yeah. this. Yeah. But you and didn't have to kill them. The collection, yeah, you don't have to I kill them forever. Things. You don't have to kill them forever, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Resurrect them. Put them on the shelf. So, Submit them to ecstasis. <laughs> yeah, submitted to ecstasis. Um, so the next collection is a lot of what I've written 2021, maybe a little bit of M 2020 that make it the first book. The working title is Platitudes and Prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the preface for that little book is going to be a question to the reader. Kind of what's poetry? Are they platitudes we tell ourselves to kind of deal with the empty void of, of life that at least that's how it feels or are they actually prayer in some sort of form are they disguised and i think these are interesting juxtapositions because nowadays culturally prayers kind of treat as a platitude mm-hmm. yeah yep you know thoughts and prayers right it has become s- symbolic of this view of prayer which is kind of empty platitudes we give ourselves right instead of uh bowing down and engaging with the god of the universe that actually hears us right so that's project one and then project two is i wrote an essay for a magazine called dappled things called faith that all is dead and it's kind of my kind of broader working out of that preface mm-hmm. where I go a bit more into that season. And I was like, man, I have to turn this essay into a book. So I've written the first few chapters and like, you know, doing the whole pitch circuit. Good job, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. Hard, yeah, that's hard, awesome. Hardest stuff, man. That's so hard to do is to actually be like, okay, I'm a creative person. I've got all this stuff, but now I have to like do it. Put Fo- it into the world. Follow through, man. Well, that's and you have, yeah, in your first fire uh, preface, you mentioned like how you felt like King David. You understood King David, right? I really think that like I'm just really glad to hear you doing this because the like we need more, you know, just like strong po- poets out there. You know, like like David was king. He was a great warrior, but the greatest biblical poet. You know, and I just think it's all, and we need to. That's a gift that God has given, you know, and, and I just think it's awesome that you're flexing those muscles. So good, Trying man. to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You flex good in this book, man. You guys, if you're listening to this sincerely, you will enjoy this book. Uh, it's wonderful. And uh, the, last, uh, the last question we had for you, man, is just um, I'll give you an option. So uh, you can either encourage, you know, other writers or Christian artists out there if, like, with a word of encouragement or – you could do the same by simply reading uh, the poet's mantra for us. Um, your call. Tough decision. So I'm a preacher by day. Mm. Um, 
So you never want to give anyone who's a preacher an open mic. <laughs> but I think um, the poem, the poet's mantra sums up any advice I would give. So this is from the collection. It's in the book. And I hope this encourages you. Do not go a day without creating, making, or shaping. Turning words into woven wonders and terrestrial terms into celestial lights. Never let the ink run dry. Let it flow. Till all the canvas is carved with ink and spirit and all the truth that has gone unsaid. Do not be silent. With the voice of your father, speak and call forth the word who will give you the words when the ink is dry and your voice is quiet. Be still now. Let the words come. They will come. It may take time. Don't rush. Be still. Listen for the still small voice, the whisper on the wind. And then when you hear it, say something true. Ryan, thanks so much for talking with us today. Um, it was a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. that was fun. It was yeah. good. I needed that, man. Me I was too. tired. I was tired. I ate too much pizza before this, and uh, but yeah. we showed up. Yeah, because we're businessmen. We, we pushed through the pizza coma, and, and the Lord are. totally refreshed our souls with this. And then through Ryan, through Ryan, exactly. Yeah. That's my point, man. Thank you. Awesome. Ryan. Yeah. Well, you guys should, if you aren't already, you should connect with Ryan Diaz. You can look him up on Instagram at Ryan. Dot Diaz, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and also, please, you know, do yourself a favor. Pick up for those wandering along the way. It's from Whip and Stock Publishing. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, anywhere else you suggest they look for it? Um, yeah. So there's a website called bookshop.org. Um, they do a lot to s- support local bookstores, which are going to get hit really hard this holiday season yeah. because there's a production stalling in the book industry right now. So a lot of small bookstores will be suffering this holiday season. So if you order from them, they part of the order gets goes towards supporting um, local bookstores. Nice. Okay. Could you say that one more time? There's the it, website. It's called Bookshop. Um, their Instagram, if for those of you who mm-hmm. are on the gram, it's Bookshop underscore org and their website is bookshop.org awesome awesome so forget what i said about amazon yeah uh if you, <laughs> if you yeah amazon i think now i'm no business expert i think they're doing okay uh, yeah probably they yeah. just sent the ceo to space so far, i think far, we can support bookshop far, far be it for me to tell you not to go yeah. to amazon but uh this sounds like thanks for pointing awesome. that out right cool no problem we did order right from whip and stock for our copies so it's pretty cool you can do that too. Yeah. Um, so we hope you enjoyed this episode. You can connect with us at Forefront Festival by subscribing to this podcast. You can follow Forefront Festival on Facebook and Instagram at Forefront Fest uh, and also Twitter. Uh, We're on Twitter? We are on Twitter at know. Forefront Fest. I'm not on Twitter. That's me, why I didn't know. Me neither. You're not on Twitter? Yeah, yeah. Just, a, just an Instagram well, and an occasional Facebook guy. Yes, who is on Twitter? TikTok. Forefront. Are you on TikTok? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Does Forefront have a TikTok? No. This should be off We here. should. We should talk about this off Anyways. Here. Okay. <laughs> As always, listeners, keep striving for excellent art and authentic faith. Until next time.